Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special part two episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Today, we are talking Dread River once again. But today, we will not have John with us. We will be talking with the new distiller, Josh or Joshua, depending on what day you're going with. Josh Goins, welcome. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here. So on the part one of this episode, we got to talk, uh, as we were talking about a little bit before recording, the marketing, the history, the story of Dread River. But this time we get to really talk about the nerdy details of distilling. But uh, before we get to that, I just want to talk about your journey. This is, you said you're about a month and a half into this job now. So you're still pretty new. I have no doubt you know what you're doing. That's not the question, but you're still pretty new to Dread River. So what's been your story in the whiskey world and spirits world? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I kind of come from a humble uh, beginnings. I was a bartender forever and, uh, I was, uh, I was a bartender at a whiskey bar. So we had like a plethora of whiskeys there from, uh, all types of different regions from Scotland. Uh, then you got like some bourbons and some American whiskeys, uh, Irish whiskeys, all types. Like, so, uh, they had a really huge, uh, you know, different, uh, styles of whiskeys there. And, uh, I took a class there as a whiskey ambassador and in the class, we, uh actually had to uh it was like all day of learning about the processes and then we uh we had to we had a bunch of glasses laid out in front of us and we had to smell and taste and we had to place what region of the world these spirits came from and when i did that i realized i was like man like i really want to make this stuff you know so i kind of like got this strong passion there from that and then uh quickly after that i i just started applying to my local distilleries uh to see if I could get in there as like maybe to clean the floors all day, you know, whatever, whatever they would let me do. And eventually uh, a distillery local to where I came from uh, decided to pick me up and they, you know, uh, they taught me everything I know today. You know, I don't have a chemistry background, like, like a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, big heads in the industry have, uh, I learned everything just through, uh, just through doing it, you know? And uh, yeah. So eventually dread river, uh, I got in contact with them and uh, got the job. And here we are in Alabama, moved my whole family down here and uh, we're making it happen. So that's it. And if you don't mind sharing, I mean, I think a, a change of job that also requires a change of location is going to be a big move no matter what. But for you, where were you coming from? That Yeah, uh, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So it's about a, I mean, in a normal, if it's just me and you driving, it would probably be like 15 hours, but I got a, a two-year-old and a three-year-old. So we get to stop every hour, you know, to do bathroom breaks and stuff. So it was quite a long drive and it's, you know, it's been a big move for the family, but uh, we're happy here. We're out here in the, it's, it's kind of like home. It's kind of still Appalachian mountains kind of feels. And uh, you know, it's woodsy, it's a little hotter and the tornadoes are a little scary, but besides that, uh, you know, nothing too major. So besides a few tornadoes, it's not a, it's not a, big deal or anything like that <laughs> i haven't experienced one yet I, i'm waiting on that i'm gonna be like a child probably i'm gonna be in the closet i don't know we'll see what happens so i i would be too the one time we've had a, an alert up here in the city we just went into the bathroom there's nothing else you can do yeah um, yeah so i don't you know we talked to, to a bunch of distilleries in pennsylvania i don't think off the top of my head we've talked to any that were around bethlehem um do you mind sharing which one you wrap for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so it's a uh, it's a distillery or where I started at. It's called Social Still. Um, real small distillery in an old bank. Uh, awesome family. You know, I don't have a bad word to say about those people. Honestly, uh, like I said, they really started me off on this career path, and uh, I've told people this before. This is like the only job I ever enjoyed. I think you know. So, you know, they really showed me the way on that one. Definitely. I've been fortunate to hear that a lot in the whiskey industry and spirits industry as a whole, that yeah. people just love their jobs. So yeah. Yeah. What's better than that. I know. Um, I know it's hard work, but uh, it's a lot of fun and rewarding, yeah. you know? So, and this is actually the second distillery then that we've talked to that distills or, um, or ages in a bank. The first being Sam Maverick in Texas. So an odd coincidence to be short, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they're cool. You know, like a lot of these banks have this beautiful architecture and they have these massive vaults and it's like really a cool spot to put barrels in. And 
you know, stuff like that. So I see the draw, I see the pull for that for sure. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you said you reached out to Dread River and had conversations and then eventually they took you on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a fairly easy uh, transition for me because my, uh, my dad lives here in, uh, in the Birmingham area. Uh, so when I saw the job pop up, I figured I would just, you know, shoot him a message and uh, turns out they really needed a distiller. So I guess uh, it, it all worked out pretty smooth. Honestly, it's been a pretty smooth transition. Nice. So. Well, congrats on that. It's, it's not always that way as I'm sure, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's fantastic. So uh, take me through, I guess the, the first week that you were on as a new distiller, like what does that onboarding look like? Cause I don't think we've ever had a chance to ask someone that fresh off that period. Yeah. So. Well, it's been a, it's been a journey, dude. It really has. <laughs> um, the first week was, uh, you know, I was kind of transitioning in. So they had a previous, so their previous distiller, uh, she's awesome. You know, I have all respect for her. Uh, but she, uh, she was an intern first when she was in high school. And then uh, I guess there are, had the distiller that she was interning under uh went off to do whatever else it was i'm not even i didn't get that answer um and then she took over so it turns out she had to move so they needed me to come in that first week was me kind of with her and i was like hey what are the kinks of this distillery you know every every place kind of has their own thing they kind of have their own like you should know this about this machine you know so <laughs> i kind of like uh got to shadow her and that was kind of like a nice like handshake entrance so she kind of like held my hand for a little bit and showed me like you know all the ins and outs of you know what dread river has to offer so that was kind of cool to be able to do that what was the uh i almost said the kinkiest machine that's not what i mean what was the machine <laughs> with the weirdest kink it's not even yeah better. well let's just go with that <laughs> yeah so we uh dread river has a really hardcore boiler right so uh um i i know a little bit about boilers not enough to call myself like a boiler tech but uh she uh she really helped me out with that because there's certain you know procedures that come with these massive machinery uh, pieces of machinery you know so that was probably the hardest like one for me to wrap my head around if it wasn't for her and uh and the chemical the boiler the guy that does the chemicals in the boiler machine if it wasn't for those two people i'd be like a lost child when it comes to that machine so yeah <laughs> yeah nice. so you're so you, the first week you get shadow and then week two you're on your own yeah week two i was on my own and you know first thing i did was uh I, have you ever seen the uh the columns or the pot still at dread river there's these it's massive they're tall they go all the way up to the ceiling right so the first thing I did was take apart those uh, three-way valves and try to figure out what direction those are going in. And I uh, did a lot of cleaning and uh, just trying to account, like, you know, get to know the equipment I'm getting ready to run. So that was my goal for week two. You sure you don't have an engineering background? Cause that's <laughs> yeah. one of the things about engineers is like, if it ain't broke, take it apart and put it back together. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But you're right. Best way to learn it, just take it apart and yeah, you know, remember remember how to put it back together, of course. But take it apart and really figure exactly. out where things are going. Well, uh, I mean, from where yeah. I, from my standpoint, I just wouldn't feel comfortable running it unless I knew 100 percent how to how to do it right. So, and like you said, the only way to figure it out is to look at the inner parts of it, see the inner workings of it all. So, that's literally what I did. I took it apart and put it back together. So. And I don't think we really touched on this in in part one with John, just because we were focused so much on the story and the marketing, but um, let's go through what the still setup looks like. You know, I'll, I'll try to add a picture of it to, you know, the show notes so people can perhaps see for themselves, but if they can't paint us a picture, what does it look like? All right. Uh, well, it's a 5,000 liter uh, uh, coat still, or is it Coty or coat? I, I'm not sure. I'm probably butchering the uh, pronunciation on that, but uh, it's a German still. Yeah. And it, uh, uh, 5,000 liter German still, and it runs, uh, so at the top to the left, to the left of it, you can, uh, jump into a, like a vapor basket. So if you're doing gin or whatever kind of cool things you want to do with that, um, there's a gin basket there. And, uh, if you bypass that out, uh, there's a, there's like a reflux basket, um, 
coming directly off the top of the still. So you can kind of hit through that and, uh, and catch some more reflux and get a little bit uh, cleaner product, you know, and then you have two massive columns that you run into it. And what I love about it, my favorite part is that it, it runs off of a, a glycol. So you're not using any city water. You're not using any water to cool your product. It's just massive glycol chiller. You can run it, uh, you can run it pretty quick. You know, you don't have to worry about it, uh, blowing, blowing past cause it's, you know, perfect temperature in that condenser at all times. So. And uh, what kind of condenser are you using? Oh, what kind of condenser? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big uh, glycol condenser. Oh, I'm, I meant um, uh, would it be more? Of, I know this is more scotch, but like a you know worm tub or um coil or. Oh, it's a uh, it... it's a coil. Yeah, coil, coil condenser. Coin. Yes, sir. Yeah. I told you we get nerdy on here, so. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna try to gonna keep ask up, that man. Question. I'm gonna try to keep up for sure. <laughs> so um kota stills i think yeah i think it is kota if i have that k-o-t-h-e that's how you spell it so look i had the spelling wrong then um <laughs> <laughs> but between that and the christian carl stills i know the german stills are really known for being both efficient and versatile yeah. so uh when so when you came on actually i'll save that question for later but we'll come back to it so the it goes into the still, it goes over to the columns, depending on, I'm assuming, depending on the product, it might go into the whole process, or as you said, you could go to a gym basket, you could divert to the reflux, and then to the condenser. Um, when you're distilling, let's say, the whiskeys, uh, is it going through the full, like, I guess, hybrid to hybrid pot to column to column so i guess it would be two to two and a half runs well when i'm doing whiskeys uh my plan is to go straight pot still to column uh that's how i want to run it uh, just from the mash and i'll do all my cuts coming off uh just one run right and then uh but right now when i came in there was a there was a big tank full of some low wines uh, but there wasn't enough low wines to do a spirit run so what I'm going to do is collect enough low wines to use those low wines. And then moving forward after that, just do a single pass off the mash uh, to the column. So nice. basically I have to make a spirit run and then I'll do it the other way. And once that's finished. So, yeah. Got to make room. To... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're doing, uh, I guess, typical like on grain for on grain distillation. Yep. Yes, sir. On grain fermentation and distillation. And distillation. So. If yeah. you could do off-grain fermentation, I would be really impressed because that's something. <laughs> yeah. I would um, like to, if we had the equipment, you know, I, I, I would definitely do it if we had the equipment. So, but to yeah. separate that grain, uh, you know, would be a challenge without a grain separator. Oh yeah. You know, or at least oh, yeah. like a false bottom or something like that. You know, we've seen a couple of really interesting techniques on here, both techniques or, or machines or something fabricated out of <laughs> just screens of different sizes yeah um, i've seen uh i used to go and uh jump into breweries uh just to like yeah. i would go work there for free just because like they're like really got their heads wrapped around fermentation you know those okay. guys are really really smart and uh so i always like to go and just uh be a part of their process and, and they use that stuff you know I'll, I'll, yeah. i only know like one place that ferments on the grain that's a brewery so Interesting. I I had never. Yeah. I've, I've. I mean, obviously, we're talking mostly about whiskey and spirits. I'd never had someone on to talk about beer. Uh, but that's interesting. I never thought about that that they would do that. Yeah. So from. As, so from your perspective, then, having gotten to kind of jump in on the uh, different breweries and seeing and seeing what they do with fermentation, then coming into Dread River, maybe this is too big of a question to answer yet but what are you able to take from that experience so far and what do you plan to take from that am experience? i able to take from uh a, a what jumping in at the breweries that i'm at able to translate in yeah uh, well i mean it's just like uh for me i kind of am because it, it's like uh, i get to see different techniques and uh you know different parts of the science end of it all too you know and uh I think the main thing I learned from breweries is, is 
creating like uh you know the good terpenes from fermentation and uh mm -hmm. stuff like that so that's kind of what i picked up from them and that's totally transferable over into dread river so oh totally uh, it you know that reminds me it was a goal that i had put aside for a while and until now just forgot i've been wanting to have a brewer on again I, not necessarily to talk about beer per se um i love a good ipa myself but uh i think I really wanted to talk about this idea of the the distiller's beer sometimes gets overlooked as part of the process. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Usually, it's usually not potable or not really, you don't want to drink it. Um, <laughs> a couple of places actually make really good stuff. Like you could throw a couple hops in there and it would be a great bottle. Oh, yeah. Like most most yeah. of it is terrible. Um, I always say like distillers are out to get, uh, you know, obviously great flavors at first, but uh, we're out for great yields. We want to get the most, you know, spirit out of the grain that we can possibly do. The brewers are here trying to like tee up and land into like a perfect flavor. Uh, maybe it's a citrusy one or, you know, et cetera. But so they're always, they're more, their fermentation is strong in the brewery world for sure. Absolutely. So, hey, we love fermentation. We love talking about yeast. So let's ask the question, what kind of... Uh, yeast and fermentation are you doing at uh, dry driver well, we got a it's a like a saccharomyces yeast uh it comes from a, a Lailman, uh ls i'm sure i don't know if you know the their lineup of yeast at all um let's check it out yeah yeah actually i love Lailman. uh you know they're always they always help you out if you have any getting a pickle at all you know you can always give them a shout and they'll help you out so i always respect that um we're doing uh, for, uh we do for our whiskey I've only made whiskey so far because we just need it. So I've been trying to get us caught up on that. As it should be. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my perfect world, I would just be like whiskey every day just to make it. That that's my, you know, that's my dream right there. Um but yeah, so it's just been a corn, uh, and then wheat and then malted barley is our mash bill. So yeah, we've just been running whiskey mashes like crazy, man, every single week. And uh I don't think John specified this. I think he was leaving it for uh, for our conversation now. But um, you know, do you tend to do kind of a shorter fermentation, double fermentation, like malolactic? Um, and honestly, what I would say, what are you doing, and then what is is it what you would like to do? Yeah, actually, this is uh, uh this is my my procedure that I set up uh, for the for mashing in. Um, it's you know we do the cook in one day. And I'm getting great uh, sugar numbers on it. I've known guys that they'll take their their corn and uh, and they cook it and they let it go like overnight almost, you know? And it just seems like, I'm not sure why, uh, because I can get the same bricks or SG numbers if I do it in one day. So uh, maybe it's an old time technique that they're trying to keep up with or what it is. But basically we do the cook in one day and then it ferments out in five to seven days. So usually that's about the window uh, that we run it in. So, and it's, you know, 5,000 liters of mash. So, yep. We are using, uh, uh, you know, we are adding enzymes because we're cooking our corn first. So we add in, you know, after our corn cooked, then we add in uh, enzymes and, and all that stuff. So. Right, right. Yeah. The, the 10% of malted barley, it's like, just under the level where you would need i've heard it's about 12 percent is about where you need to be able yeah. to kind of go off enzyme totally but even then most yeah. places will add the enzyme anyway just to help things along yeah see we add it because so if you're cooking your corn at about 160 it starts to turn into it starts to like gelatinize it turns into like polenta literally so you have to add in like uh uh alpha am or uh, amylase uh mm -hmm. in there and it, and it helps keep it smooth and and so that's the first enzyme we throw in because, and at that point you only have your corn. So you don't even getting any enzymes from your, from your malts yet, you know? Right. So, right. yeah. So you, you kind of need it in that stage, but yeah. I probably wouldn't get use it if I was doing like a single malt, I probably wouldn't even use enzymes if I was doing that. So. Right. Cause I mean, you'd have everything you need right in there, but Correct, like you said, you're yeah. not getting any from the corn, none from the wheat either. And then not enough yeah. from the, from the barley at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that barley, though, it really is like when it hits the hot water, it just blossoms out. It smells so good. It's like it smells like a bakery. I love it. It's yeah, I've heard it called like a barley tea. It's oh, really? It is a lovely flavor. 
it, yeah. like I said, it, it just it blooms out like a tea leaf, and it it's yeah, dude, it really does. Just let it lets everything go, lets the sugars go, the enzymes go, just kind of dissolves if in a little way. But um, it is a really, really nice smell. I think for me at least, like walking through a distillery, walking through the mashing and fermentation, when you the corn can smell a little burnt to me sometimes if the you know the temperature is too high or whatever it may be but and the wheat or the rye that that's usually too little in the grain bill unless it's a whole you know specifically a rye or a wheat mash bill but that malt just is a little bit of it better dude there's nothing better yeah it it really is it's like a like you said it's a bakery it's a savory bakery yeah big time man wonderful it puts a smile on my face every single time dude literally every time yeah yeah i love it uh when you're so you've been doing only whiskey so far uh does that include like the whole lot have you done the whole lineup so far no i've just literally been making whiskey uh just the past like month and a half yeah Uh, I do plan to do a rum because I I noticed some supplies. So I have to get an inventory and see if I have enough to do a wash. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm going to probably do like a Caribbean style rum. I saw some molasses up there and, uh, and some sugar cane. So that's, you know, that'll work. Let's see if I can use that stuff up. So yeah, absolutely. Rum's a whole different ballpark, really. You know, it's, it's got, it's, it's its own animal. You kind of got to, the fermentation is different. Like everything is just, you know, it's its own animal, really. So that'll be exciting to get on that. This can be a little teaser. We're in a couple of weeks for the podcast episodes. Uh, we're gonna have Eric K from Holmes Key come on to really help us dive into rums a little bit because I it's a side passion of mine. Yeah, um, yeah. So what what uh, styles of rum do you kind of go towards? Uh, you know what? Uh, I had this kind of rum one time, and it was from like a sixty five year old dude. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. His name's Brett. If he ever hears this, he's he'll, this will put a smile on his face that we're talking about him. But uh, yeah, it's a I don't even know what the where you find the bottle. It's called Pirate P Y A R T. You ever heard of that stuff before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty common, I think. But uh, that was my favorite rum. I, I think it's like a Navy style rum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I might actually yeah. have. I might have some um, like old minis. Like dusty minis of pirate. Huh. I have to. I'll. I'm gonna write that down and look it for it because I think you would enjoy that. Then I went on a mini buying craze at some point. Yeah. Just finding dusty minis on auction sites that nobody was bidding on, <laughs> and I got awesome. some some things that were empty, some things that were really cool. So, um, but yeah, I've definitely got a couple of just dusty rums in general. So I'll uh, see if I can share some of those. Yeah, that'd um, be great. I'd love that. Yeah, but uh, but that's that's still awesome. I. I have not gotten a chance to try uh the rum from dread river yet uh, i would love to i'm interested in rum from anywhere um not a huge fan of of white rum to be honest i i do tend towards the aged or aged rum that's kind like, of more my style too really they're like even like yeah. a really well-made spiced rum those are pretty good too you know yeah white rum for a cocktail i would say but i i like to drink neat what can i say <laughs> yeah 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 um uh, touche so hey well <laughs> I, I have cocktails when I go out and I drink neat at home. That's, that's my thing. So the, I want to jump back to the, uh, the recipe for a second and um, this feel free to say, if you, if you don't know the answer to this, but I'm curious to know why Dread River ended up with the 60, 30, 10 weeded mash bill. Cause that's a pretty, that's a pretty famous recipe. Um, a couple of companies used it, but I, I think most about, you know, well, let's just say a comp- uh, many companies used it. Uh, Mictors used it by switching out the 30 wheat for the 30 rye instead. Hmm. Um, but those proportions are are kind of an older style of bourbon yeah. that people like. So, it, hey, that's great. I'm glad that, that uh, I didn't know that information. I'm I'm glad they're doing that. I'm excited to be doing that right now. Then you know. Uh, that that recipe was one that was used from like the very first distiller, and uh, I didn't want to come in here and change a mash bill because they have a, a product on the shelves that uh, it has to taste the same. You know, even two years from now, it has to still be consistent. So uh, that's why I didn't even think twice about the mash bill about changing it. And I'm glad you said that. It's kind of cool. I think. 
Oh yeah, it's a, I'm I'm as soon as I said it, I blanked on the other companies. I remember Victor's using that proportion, like I said, but different grain. But that 603010, there's definitely someone who used that with a weeded mash bill. And I know my friends who are listening to this are gonna be yelling at their radios or <laughs> or phones, being like, it's this one. What are you talking about? Um, but anyway, so so you're going through the distilling process, you do the whiskey, you'll eventually do some rum, uh, and then go into char three casks, char number three yeah. casks. Yeah, it's actually funny you said that. We just got, I just got, uh, like, oh, I think uh, almost 70 barrels coming in to the distillery. Nice. Uh, to fill. Yeah. No clue where I'm going to store them until they're full, <laughs> but uh, they are on the way. So that's cool. Uh, we got, I think, about 20 uh, uh, char level four, and then the rest are char level three. So, so just for yeah. like experimentation or for a different product? For the product. So we'll probably end up doing like a, like a blend or maybe we use like one char four or uh, this is like just all rhetorical, but like maybe we use one barrel to two or something like that, you know? Uh, yeah. So we have a couple of char four barrels aging currently right now too. So yeah. Okay. All for, all for experimentation. I like when people yeah. mix things up a little bit. And like you said, that allows you to, even if they were doing it before, even if Dread River has been doing that before, it allows you to put your stamp on it to say, again, hypothetical, I think, two barrels of the char four to 10 barrels of the right. char three is exactly. a great mix. And that can be your own palette coming through however many yeah. years from now. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I did hear uh, to the question of aging. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm curious where you're going to put them because I've, I've seen the building. It's a beautiful Tuscan style villa. I don't oh, see awesome. a lot of storage space in there. Yeah. Well, um, we have a, a barrel aging room. And there's about 140 barrels in it now. And, and it's, it's a big pull up door, you know, and it's packed. So uh, I think we have uh, some offsite prospects. Uh, so I think we might have like a storage warehouse coming up. I'm hoping it comes up soon because we got these barrels coming. So we're going to have to figure something out, you know, so. But it, it's all, you know, it's all good problems to have, man. You know, you don't have enough oh, yeah. just to put your whiskey barrels in. That's not a bad problem at all. It's an awesome problem, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you said. You said your dad has been in, in the Birmingham area. You're new to the area, but through your dad, I'm sure you have some familiarity. Uh, if you had, without knowing what the new maturation building, let's call it, is going to be, what do you think would be your ideal warehouse setup or rickhouse setup in the climate that you're now in? Um. Honestly, it really wouldn't have to be like the climate's not too bad for aging. Maybe something to keep it warmer uh, in the winter months, uh, just to kind of keep everything moving. And definitely something that has a hose, so I could at least have like a wedding schedule or something. You know, I'm not really too picky. Uh, yeah, I mean, preferably indoors. Uh, I mean, there's some people that believe that aging your barrels outside that helps absorb these amazing smells and flavors like look how they do in scotland like there's some places that age their barrels on the coast and they got the crashing the crashing ocean the salt waters you know all that's getting in the barrel uh, i just don't know if people want to smell like the uh out of downtown birmingham you know so right. I, I would i would like to have it uh hopefully indoors you know and uh temperature control would be nice with a hose so that, that'd be my ideal setup right there Maybe a, a couple of windows in there or something, but nothing yeah. too crazy. Yeah, not uh, too wild, you know. I'm curious on the uh, the hosing down. I would think, again, I, I have not been to Alabama. I have not been to Birmingham. So I have no clue what the climate is like. My assumption, I guess, was that it would be fairly humid there um, just by location. Uh, do you anticipate the barrels needing to be hosed every now and again just to keep it? Yeah, I, I find that like uh, if you kind of like have a wedding schedule for the barrels, maybe like just kind of like with some really uh, filtered water, obviously, like some good water mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of spray the uh, the barrels down. It kind of keeps them from like, you know, drinking all the booze because mm -hmm. the barrels like to drink the booze, you know. So a lot of it gets mm -hmm. evaporated out into angel share and then uh, the barrel drinks some of it, too. So that kind of helps that process. But I mean, where I'm from before, it used to get pretty dry in the winter. Uh, so maybe that's why I was experiencing that more. Maybe it'll be less here. Well, I guess that, that'll be uh, to be determined, you know? 
no, totally. I mean, it, it it's not the first that I've heard of it. I should say it, it's more. I was thinking like in a drier environment for sure. You definitely yeah. want to spray them down. Like some of the guys in New Mexico, Arizona, you need to because otherwise you're getting like a 15, 20% angel share yeah, a year. That's what I'm it's, saying. It's yeah. unsustainable. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious when when it's built and when you you should have the hose definitely because just in case it's better to have it and not. Oh use yeah, it, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But I'm curious, you know, a year from now, let's say when it's built and you got the barrels in there, um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you're experiencing really on the yeah. ground and and outside of the villa, really in a yeah, I guess a truer warehouse capacity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just for um, this, you know, uh, four or five walls. That's it. That's all I need, right? And a roof. Yeah. And we're good. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's see. I'm trying to think if I have missed anything. The oh, so I saw I did see that the current product, the current whiskey, I should say, cast strength comes out at about 124. Um, so that's a beautiful proof for me. I'm a proof hound, proud of it. Um, so what are you generally going in at? And what is that? percentage look like over the couple of years of aging right well you know i'm not sure what they put it in at i, I could i could dive do a deep dive and find uh you know that's all recorded so i could find that info i don't know off the top of my head though uh but i would go in at like probably like 122 around that number is where is where i normally put my spirits in at. so and then as it ages uh usually it pulls out around like 130 you know give or take somewhere around that neighborhood so it's a solid that's a solid proof right there that's yeah are you gonna you think you're gonna want to and these are these are purely hypotheticals i know you know i know it's a month and a half in and you're producing you're just starting to do your own stuff so this is you know not intended to get you in trouble or anything like that i'm i'm purely curious of your thought process uh do you think you'd want to release it maybe at, at that 130 or tamp it down just a little bit uh, Honestly, what's your like, preference uh, it's like i mean there's like like you said you're a proof pound there's a lot of there's a lot of proof pounds out there just like you you know uh it's really the market so i mean just because me and you think it's cool does mm-hmm. everybody else i don't know you know so it's it's kind of it's it's, it's got to sell you know that's that's the bread and butter of the distillery right so mm-hmm. i think i think if we i think if we you know bring it down to like a 120 or you know 124 whatever it is uh that would be more approachable for the average joe you know and then the people like me and you wow 130 that's pretty awesome like i'd probably buy that you know so it all depends on the market of the time and look if if you find that it it's coming out of 130 but it drinks a little hot you want to add a little bit of water to it yeah cool it down a little bit and make it more palatable because that's pretty that's pretty hot sometimes you know oh yeah oh yeah but to each his own, not a yeah. problem. So, you know, I this was such a good deep dive into Dread River on the nerdy side and the distilling side. Uh, as your first era there comes to a close and you're really getting your feet under you, um, what? Maybe it's too early to ask this question, but what do you what do you want your mark to be on Dread River? Uh, I, I want to help these guys grow and, you know, and become the distillery, you know? So one of the things I love about Dread River is that uh, we do a lot of, uh, we're starting to really ramp up on like the uh, contracts. Mm-hmm. So we have, we make whiskey for a couple of different distilleries, you know, and uh, being, having that capability is, is really cool. So it's like, you know, not only are we doing our thing, but we're also helping out these other people uh, build their brands. And we're basically just giving these guys like the best juice we know how to make, you know, and they're going to they're going to try to turn around and sell it. So that's one of my favorite things right there is, is uh, doing contract work with them. Nice. Yeah, so my goal with them is I want to my goal with them is to be able to expand on the contracts. I want to be, you know, making spirits for everybody in Alabama, maybe more, you know, that that'd be my goal. So. That's awesome. And I was going to ask without, without breaking any NDAs, cause we don't want to have you do that. Uh, are most clients right now in Alabama? Do you have any out of state? Uh, they're uh, currently all out in Alabama. That's our clients right now. So that's awesome in itself. Cause then you get to put the stamp on what people think of as Alabama. Whiskey. Yeah. 
not only mm-hmm. building a reputation for Dread River, but for these other brands too. And, and, and you know, having a positive experience for them is, is huge to me. So we've seen it work with obviously MGP with Bardstown Bourbon Company and with uh, Green River as well. So why not? And and thankfully, in some ways, because of the laws and because of the history of, of Alabama distilling, you've got a little less history, I would say, in in a kind of good way. You've got a cleaner slate to work from to really make that mark. So it's oh, exciting yeah, to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, this is fantastic to just, again, to deep dive into this. I have definitely things to think about and to follow up with you on in a year from now to see where things are going. But in the meantime, Josh, uh, thank you for taking the time tonight to come on and talk about the distillery and uh, talk about what a first week looks like, first two weeks looked like as a new distiller um, before you get to forget all that. And, you know, before it well, just thanks for- kind of becomes muscle memory, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's how it is right now, man. Just, just really building uh, right now. My, my main goals are I'm trying to build this really killer team. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a bunch of really cool guys in, in the distillery that we all just like to work and make spirits, you know? So that's uh, I'm trying to create this culture in there and um, yeah. And we're just really trying to uh, get down different procedures. And so everyone has a job and just, we want this thing to be humming, you know, so we'll get there, but we got, we got a little time on it yet. So. Yeah, man. In spirits, time is all. So yeah, that's awesome to hear. I love hearing that you're already thinking about the team, about how you're going to build this out. You know, you want to make the mark through growth, and you've you're already formulating that vision how to get there. So that portends great things in my mind. So we will keep in touch. I'm sure over the years uh, there'll be links in the show notes for where you can find Red River, how to follow them, how to uh, pick up the current products, how to keep in touch with all social medias and all of that. Uh, with that, uh, Josh, hang out with me for a second, just afterwards. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast, part two of Dread River. Make sure if you haven't listened to part one, you go back and do that. You don't have to listen to one or the other to appreciate both, but you'll want to. Trust me, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to. So thanks, everyone. It's been another episode. I will see you all next week.